Well, hi, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. On today's show, film directors Edward Drake and Renika Jayapalan. That's coming up on Endeavors. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors, and happy second night of Hanukkah. How are you all doing today? It's finally snowing where I am here in Victoria. Is it here to stay? We'll never know. But what I do know is that we've got two great film directors on the show for you today. And they are two very different films. First, we have Edward Drake, who is the creator of the Detective Knight trilogy of action films, which star Bruce Willis. The first one, Detective Knight Rogue, came out earlier this year, and the sequel... Detective Knight Redemption was released on VOD on December 9th. He actually co-wrote the trilogy with a local boy, Corey Large, who is an actor, writer, and producer, and actually went to the same school as I did, albeit about, we were, I don't know, 10 years apart or so. So I'll talk with Edward Drake about Detective Night Redemption and then later on you'll hear from filmmaker Renika J. Apollon about her film Stay the Night. That's coming up but first this is my conversation with Edward Drake. What part of the world are you in? Uh, I'm in uh, Victoria, in Canada. Hey, amazing. Yes, I know. I was going to um, yeah. ask, ask about Corey, because I know he's from this neck of the woods as well. Yeah, um, yeah. he lives he's, just around. Yeah, he's, in, he's a Victoria boy. Yeah, yeah. Him and I, I, mean, him and I went to the same school, but... St. Michael's. Like, years of, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, I only went there for four years, and I was about 10 years past him, but yeah. so Gotcha. Um, hey, wasn't it? Um, who's the fo- uh, basketballer that went there? Uh, uh, Steve Nash. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and and his his brother's also uh, Martin is a well-known soccer player for Team Canada, or was. Yeah, so, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, dude, there's something in the water with that school, man. I mean, that's <laughs> super cool, yeah. dude, and yeah. And there's an actress, uh, Leslie Hope, who is a Canadian yep. actress. I also believe went there yep. um, for a few years. Yeah, so we 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 have a few. That's crazy. Yeah, I went to uh, uh, a, like a, I guess like a brother school in Australia. Oh and yeah, we had some students that went back and forward between Victoria, some Canadian kids that came to uh, my school in Melbourne. Okay, and went over, and uh, yeah, you guys hazed the <laughs> shit out of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sounds was, about right. Yeah, but no, uh, the school I went to was a school for psychopaths, so um, it was all fun. Again. <laughs> um. Speaking of psychopaths, I know in uh, Detective Knight 
redemption um he you know he's the the character is described as a psychopathic killer um and i know i know that you you had kind of shot this film and and the sequel to it kind of back to back um but did when you and Corey were writing it did you like was it always going to be a trilogy and did you sort of write them back to back to back Oh, yeah, it was always a trilogy. Uh, it was always this opportunity to look at the holidays. And I, uh, I was funny, I was in Vancouver uh, when I was writing them. Um, we had just through the, the magic of how films come together, um, Bruce wanted to do uh, Bruce wanted to do a couple movies. We knew that there was this production model that we wanted to explore, which was shooting multiple films back to back. This is all. This is very inside baseball for anyone that's listening. So um, uh, I'll get to fun onset stories a little later. But making these movies, it was definitely this unique target opportunity to explore something that had never been done before by a studio. And so we were the first production to do a trilogy um, with this level of talent, with you know a certain amount of resources in three countries. Um, and so it was pretty cool when. When we wrapped, we we got the call, and someone said that we made studio history by uh, by pulling off these films. It's pretty yeah. cool. Uh, and I want to ask you about um, working with Bruce because you know it was right around this time, or shortly, you know, when you were shooting, shortly after, you know, he announced that he was retiring because he because he had aphasia. Um, is that something you were aware of when when you were shooting? Uh, we were, yeah, we were aware of it, but I can't really speak too much about uh, that. It's a private health metaphor, and I just respect for, yeah. Um, and I'm curious, you know, we 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 mentioned him off the top, but how you how you got hooked up with with the, our our Canadian boy Corey Large? I know you two had worked together a, a little bit before, but how did that um, partnership come to be? Uh, I essentially harassed Corey into producing my first film broil and i um uh one of my best friends uh introduced me to or said you should connect with Corey. and i've been doing music videos and commercials and i remembered the reason that i moved to los angeles uh was to make feature films and tell these stories and there's only so many dance music videos one human being can do uh, before they uh, start <laughs> neon lights going off in your dreams. So I, um, I caught up for a coffee with Corey and he said, what do you want to do? And I pitched him this $5 million idea called Ether, which was, um, uh, which was a lot of fun. But he said, kid, there is no way. I was 26 at the time, 27. He said, kid, there is absolutely no way me or anyone else are going to trust you with $5 million um, with your first movie out of the gate. I said, okay, well, what would you trust me with? And he said that he was really interested in this micro budget model. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to write your film and you're going to put $150,000 for it. And I'm going to go out and it's going to look better than any of the films that you've produced before. And he said, he's a, you know, uh, he liked the ambition, I guess. And so we went, we made broil and, uh, and yeah, I loved making that film so much. I uh, brought together some of my best people who are in my life and some of my best friends today. Um, and then the rest is history. Then I think he was, yeah, he called me saying that he was out with Bruce one night and that Bruce wanted to do uh, sci-fi. And then in there on the phone, I just came up with a pitch. And then I went away and I wrote uh, a movie called Anti-Life, which then became Breach. 
and I, yeah, that's uh, then uh, I met Bruce and his team on set. Corey had a good thing going with them. They saw that I could write and communicate with Bruce um, and be cheeky, honestly. The, uh, you know, my thanks to my heritage, let's just say there's a, a natural cheekiness that's in my blood. <laughs> and uh, I guess certain actors of a certain level aren't used to, um, yeah, honestly, the just being truthful with them. You know, the, a lot of people surra- are surrounded by yes men and yes women uh, in their day-to-day lives. So uh, I was pretty forthright and just able to communicate um, these stories and, yeah, treat people like human beings. Um, and you've worked with Bruce a lot and you've worked with Corey a lot. I know uh, Lachlan Monroe has appeared in some of your previous work. Are you one of those what filmmakers? Um, There's no movie on earth that could not be better without more luck on my <laughs> Oh, he's, we, we love him in Canada too. Um, yeah. I hear you're going to put him on a, on a loony. <laughs> now we, that we, the queen, yeah. we should, we should. Right. Um, I'm just curious if, are, if you're one of those filmmakers that uh, likes to have a, you know, a, a, like, you know, kind of like Adam Sand, who always has kind of a, a, a team of, of collaborators working on, on each of his projects. Are you one of those sort of filmmakers? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, the Sandler model, Happy Madison, creating a family of filmmakers that you can go to, uh, you know, you can grow together and live and that sort of stuff. Wes Anderson uh, included, you know, I was making music videos uh, and in the same circles as the Daniels, um, Daniel Schweinhardt and Daniel Kahn. And we, I admired so much their summer camp vibe that they brought to their sets and yeah, a lot of us who were coming up at the same time, we all aspired to that. And so we're all working on each other's film sets in different roles and that sort of thing. And now it's the same with talent. Like I will always, I mean, I I write for uh, actors I know and if they're available, amazing, jump in. And they always know they're going to have a fun, safe time and they're going to get paid on time. And that's honestly uh, part of uh part of the joy we always try for something as well i mean these sets are madness they're you know seven eight nine ten day shoots so um but everyone knows the deal at this point and uh we we make the most of it we have fun there's no nothing to be gained by whining about not having enough days or oh my god my trailer is two inches smaller than what was promised in my contract uh, I'm looking at you, Lachlan Monroe. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Lachlan is the best. Honestly, Lachlan is a saint. Um, and I, there will always be a, a place in my heart and on any production um, of mine for Mr. Monroe. He is one of the nicest human beings that has ever walked the face of the earth. But um, don't get me started. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm not going to even go there. I uh, I wanted to ask you because I know the the first film in this series that you, uh, you shot part of it in New Mexico and that was right after the rust incident happened and I know that kind of caused you to 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 change course a little bit um, in terms of not having blanks in the guns. How do you think how how did that affect you and how do you think that's going to affect these types of movies going forward? Yeah, uh, the tragedy. Uh that happened on rust and helena's passing is definitely a the saddest wake-up call that i think a lot of producers really really fucking needed because these a film set it's a lot of fun but it is a workplace and it is a dangerous workplace even before you're doing action 
And so these movies are being made in these kind of models where like, I just hope that moving forward, uh, producers, production service companies are taking the time to not redline every budget, like understand that like you need time. I think I just don't want to see people rushing and making the same mistake and, uh, and tragedies uh, unfolding again. And, you know, I, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say on that. It was a, a deeply, deeply sad uh, thing that happened. Um, a lot of, I have a lot of friends who are friends with Helena and her husband and she was a mother and there's it, just, it, it should not have happened. There was, it was absolutely in no circumstances, absolute madness that it happened. And when, when we found out, um, we immediately made the decision just like we trusted our armorer. We trusted, um, uh, you know, a gunsmith, but just for the safety and the mental health of the cast and crew, we're like, no, we can't have, unfortunately we can't have blanks on this set because it's too close. And now can I guarantee that there wouldn't have been an accident? No, of course I couldn't guarantee there wouldn't be an accident, but you work with professionals and you don't rush it and there's protocol and there's procedure and God, the only thing that I can hope I'm, I'm getting you know choked up emotional here because it just, it didn't have to happen. It did. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So just um, take your time. Don't rush these. We're, we're creating entertainment, but my marker for a successful film is that the cast and crew are able to go home at the end of a shoot to their families. Uh, that is what defines a successful yeah. film. If it, if it does well, that's the gravy on top. Um, yeah. You know, there's, I mean, that aside, there's, there's been a lot of other talks in the last couple of years about how much the industry needs to change, whether it's, you know, an incident like that, or, you know, the, the working hours, I know a lot of productions are going to, you know, PWN or, 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 or French hours. Um, mm -hmm. As, as, as someone who is in charge of a production, what do you, make of all of all of all these discussions that are happening yeah absolutely it's a discussion with the crews every crew is different and you look you know the gaffer cinematographer the pas i mean everyone has a voice and there's a hierarchy that we need to acknowledge on these sets but not a power structure there's a big difference between your attitude of whether you see it as a power structure or a hierarchy and like i was saying man everyone's a human being and making sure everyone gets home safe at the end of each day. That's the priority. Um, yeah. Uh, French hours. I'm a big, personally, I'm a big fan of French hours. However, it's not necessarily the most cost-effective way to make an action movie because there are ways just in terms of how you, uh, you can structure your departments to be working at any given time where you can, you know, you call certain departments at different, you know, later, that sort of thing. Doesn't work the same with French hours, unfortunately. Um, but I'm a big fan of French hours. Love to work in France. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, on, on, I'd love to work in France and see if their French hours are really as French as Canadian French hours. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, a very deep cut for anyone who's working in the Vancouver film yeah. industry at the moment. Sorry. Um, sometimes on sets here, like they'll, they'll, they're not using the term Pacific Northwest hours, which is like the yeah. same thing. It's just, you know, um, yeah. you know, it's Pacific funny. Northwest hours. 
<laughs> I laughed so hard when I heard that the first yeah. time. I'm like, guys. <laughs> I know that a working title for this film was called Christmas Night. So mm-hmm. do you consider Detective Night Redemption a Christmas film? Yeah, dude. <laughs> so is Die Hard. I was going to say, I was going to say, you're, you, you must be then on the train that Die Hard is a Christmas film. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Like, if, I mean, just the plots of the, the plot of the film could not have gone down in the way it does without the Christmas party or right. go Christmas is integral to the plot. It's a Christmas movie. Wake up. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. We, we have a, we have a, a violent, uh, we have a violent Santa in this movie. And there's another movie that just came out called violent night, which also has uh, <laughs> a, 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 a violent Santa. Um, yeah. What is that seems to be kind of a, a quote unquote trend, maybe the, the last couple of years. What is it about uh, maybe taking these classic idea, classic characters or classic ideas and making them darker? What do, what do we like about that? It's because culture is dead and we are not making anything new. So we must destroy what we have. And this is how the Roman Empire fell is when we started to disgrace the, you know, the quote-unquote gods that we look up to and this is the end of culture my friend this is where we go to die and i am part of it how how funny was it to have a guy in a santa suit running around with a machine gun i mean it was kind of nuts that so i i wrote all the films and then i was very i was very sneaky and cheeky with the ricky conlon character because his original, the original version and idea for Conlon um, was uh, closer to Jack Sparrow, <laughs> but in a uh, a murderous eat the rich and I take that literally kind of way. And um, I was asked to pull that back a bit, obvious reasons. Um, but we, yeah, we had a lot of. Yes. The answer to your question is yes. It was so much fun. We're running around the streets of Vancouver with, you know, stump men dressed as bank robbers, dressed as like murderous Santa Clauses, getting the cops called on us, having the cops then ask if they can be in the movies. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I mean, <laughs> it was, uh, it, to, the, to our earlier point, it was like a, a summer camp with more murderous Santas, I hope, than your summer camp experience. Uh, was there maybe a, a scene or a moment from the film that, from shooting that was your favorite? Um, from, in, from writing just the idea of burning a Christmas tree in the middle of the city, that was something that I've always wanted to pull off and just being able to protect that all the way through when budget cuts were coming in and cast wasn't available. And there might be a reason a lot of those characters are wearing masks during that scene because actors were schedules were changing and everything. I protected that moment as much as I could. And then uh, the final, the final moment of um, Bruce's final line, uh, if we're being honest, probably got these movies greenlit where it was like, Merry Christmas, motherfucker. I remember one uh, one studio executive was like, that's the trailer right there, man. That's it. Done. Let's go. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, I, but I do think the burning of the Christmas tree, because it's such a symbol to do it, pull it off in a city environment it, with everything that's going on in our world, in the world of the night movies. It's just this, uh, yeah. yeah. What, what can we expect from 
from uh, Detective Knight Independence? Because I know that comes out in, in, in about a month or so. Uh, it is a, it's a psychological thriller. And it's, again, I wanted to take the, every one of the antagonists that Bruce goes up against in these trilogies. I really studied Bruce's uh, filmography and wanted to bring new villains that he hadn't faced before as not only as, you know, uh, Bruce Willis, the actor, so that he, the performance would bring out something new, but also uh, for the for the audience. I didn't want to see another Hans Gruber. Um, although I love Hans Gruber, you cannot touch what Alan Rickman did. That's incredible. Um, oh, he was incredible, and that film is incredible. But I wanted to, for this third one, uh, create an, a, a very modern antagonist that could not exist in any other point of time but right now. And I also wanted to destigmatize the character. He's not... I think people are going to say it's Bruce Willis versus an incel, but it's it's very there's a lot more that's going on. And if you take the time to see what I'm how the character is being presented and what is real and what is not and what is actually happening in his head and make the decision for yourself. And then you'll see that it's really the story of a, a confused young man who is choosing violence uh, as a way to enact his vision for the world. Um but I wanted to, yeah, deconstruct that idea within a movie that's deconstructing the idea of Bruce Willis as a as a cowboy cop. Uh, and finally, quickly, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Christmas Chronicles. Okay, all right. And that's because, uh, yeah, someone very uh, someone very dear to me worked on them for a very long time. And I got uh, the opportunity to meet the director, uh, Clay, of the first one. And I, you know what? A close second is going to be the Hawkeye TV show. Because okay. there's the Home Alones and all that sort of thing. Yes, of course, they're the, I'm trying to think of things that maybe people wouldn't uh, think of right off the bat. Um, but the, the Hawkeye show, it's fun man we need like to have more fun with these characters and family for like i've i've been trying to make family friendly movies for years um but the market you know people are just like here's another can you write a guns and action and explosion thing and i'm like yeah of course but can we go and make a fun christmas movie and they're like absolutely not but i love that uh i love the christmas chronicles for a lot of reasons and uh i love uh yeah, that Hawkeye, Hawkeye TV show, the filmmakers behind it, uh, the performances, it's cheeky in all the right ways. It's great. What about yourself? What's your favorite Christmas movie? Well, I always go back to uh, a film called Mixed Nuts. Um, Mixed Nuts. Okay, I'm going to Google that right now. Didn't get a lot of love, but it's got Steve Martin, uh, Adam Sandler, Rita Wilson. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. It's 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 a bit of a screwball. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit of a screwball comedy. They run a suicide hotline, and it didn't. It didn't get a lot of love when it came out, but it's. It I do. I always just. That's always one that has stuck with me because it's just. It, you know, I think it's it's really well done. Um, Dude, I'm putting it on the list. Yeah. And it's Nora Ephron is the writer director, so you 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 can sure. hardly you can hardly go wrong with a Nora Ephron movie. Oh my god, that's amazing, dude! And, this is, uh... yeah. and an Aussie actor, Anthony LaPaglia, isn't it? Anthony, who has a yes, scene dressed where he's dressed in a Santa costume. So there we go. Amazing. I mean, look, this is I've literally just pulled it up now. Uh, it's on the list. Renting tonight. All righty. Well, uh, 
your film is Detective Night uh, Redemption. Uh, it is out uh, limited theaters VOD now, I do believe. Uh, and then it is released on DVD and Blu-ray on January 17th. And uh, Independence, I believe, will be released on January 23rd. Who knows? Question mark? <laughs> Question mark. Yeah, that's fine. Dude, Dan, thank you so much for your time. Thank Always you, Edward. With the Canada boy. Thank Appreciate you. It. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye. Well, that was my interview with filmmaker Edward Drake. His film, Detective Night Redemption, is out now. From Australia to here, home in Canada, my next guest has been a director in television for many, many years, directing episodes of such shows as Murdoch Mysteries, Working Mom, Ginny in Georgia, Sort of, Strays, Son of a Critch, Children Ruin and Everything, and Kim's Convenience. Her feature debut is Stay the Night, which she wrote and directed, and stars Andrea Bang from the aforementioned Kim's Convenience. It's a lovely little film that challenges and comments on modern dating life, and as well elevates the city of Toronto, I think, in a way we haven't seen before in film. So this is my conversation with Renika Jayapala. Renika Jayapala, hello. Welcome this afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Has uh, winter fully hit where you are yet? <laughs> yeah, I'm in Toronto and and yet we're, it's definitely winter, snow's on the ground, it's cold, don't want to go outside, but you know. Yep. That's, welcome, that's welcome, welcome to winter in Eastern Canada, right? <laughs> yeah. Where are you? I'm in Victoria, so. Oh, okay, you're West Coast. Okay. It's, it's cold, but we don't, we're supposed to get snow, but we don't have snow yet, so. Okay. We, we get, we get mild winters over here. So yeah. <laughs> we just get six months of cold. <laughs> right. Yeah. Although Victoria's become very, very windy the last couple of years. Right. So, um, but yeah, stay, uh, stay the night. Uh, this is a, a great, um, little film. Um, was there, you know, given its subject matter, I'm curious as to whether or not there was a, a specific incident or, or moment in your life that, that spurred this idea? I got the idea because I heard a really great, um, juicy celebrity story, really. Um, and it was about a, a woman who was at a, a Hollywood party and she met a very famous person. And it was clear from their initial interaction that this, this, this would, could be a one night stand. Like it would, like that's where it was going. And she thought to herself, um, can I be that girl? Can I be the girl who's a one night stand with a famous movie star? And um, and I just like that question. You know, I like that question. And it was like interesting, like who is that girl? 
and who is that guy? And then how, you know, it's a quite a high concept, you know, Hallmark movie type of premise, but how can we make it real? How can we strip away all the cliches and, and kind of ground it and, and still follow all of the romance or romantic comedy conventions, but um, have it a bit, yeah, grounded and, and authentic. What I notice about that is, is that I think in this film, it all comes out in the dialogue. Um, it, it does seem, I think, much more natural than other rom-coms we may watch. Um, how much of that was specific on your part and or did you allow the actors any improvisation in that matter? It's pretty, pretty, all, pretty much all scripted. Yeah, it was all on the page. And, uh, you know, I think there was maybe a couple scenes where we tried, where we did a little bit of improv um, that made it into the movie, but just, you know, walking and talking kind of stuff, but it was pretty much very scripted. All those. Yeah. You know, you, the, the whole concept is, is about a one night stand and there's a lot, you know, there's been a lot of articles written about, you know, the, the quote unquote hookup culture and how, Gen Z's are eschewing that, you know, compared to what what the millennials did. Um, what do you? How do you think this movie comments on hookup culture and what our idea of it is? Yeah, I mean, I, it was definitely, you know, I, I wrote this script like ten years ago, like just maybe like when online dating or apps or whatever were like coming up and everything, and we're getting popular. And now, like you know, ten years later, it's like a kind of a different world. Um, there's that. There's a bit of a backlash against them. There's, you know, there's. It's not always healthy, you know, and and it and you know with the pandemic as well, people were isolated and um, feeling disconnected. And I kind of like wanted to make a film that returned things to real life, you know, like what if you did meet someone in real life, how can you like actually form a meaningful connection? And, you know, even, even though the characters in the movie do have sort of a one night thing, it, it does kind of change their life. And there's like a positiveness to it, which I kind of liked. And it, it didn't have to be this sort of um, damaging, toxic interaction. It could be something positive. And it's funny, you know, there was there's a point in the film, I think, where they shortly after they first meet um, where, you know, watching it, it 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 almost it's a bit cringeworthy, but in in in, in a really in a really funny way. Um, how why do you think those types of moments can be so. Cringy and uncomfortable, but we can also find the humor in them. Is it real? <laughs> I think I think it's I think they're just real. You know, the, I think the moment or the scene you're referring to is is when um, Grace Andrew Bang's character goes up to the hotel room with this this hockey player guy, and they they attempt a one night stand and they start to make out, and you know she's awkward. He's like trying to read the signals. Uh, you know, and it's we kind of really draw out that scene. We, there's no music. It's just these two actors, like the silence kind of emphasizes all those cringy, awkward moments. Um, but, you know, when when we were making that scene and I was writing it and even directing it, it wasn't like, let's have to make this make this cringe. Let's make this awkward. No, let's just make it real. And like, what would she feel and what would he feel? And let's put them together. And I think I think people like, you know, when we watch it in the, with, in, with audiences, that scene always gets like some uncomfortable laughs and things like that. But and that's great because that's that's. Um, that means it works. You mentioned how you had 
no music in this scene, but overall, I really love the placement of the music. And I was especially struck by the the opening sort of trumpet you have um, playing at the beginning. And it, um, how much work did you do with, with your with your composer to really set the tone of, of the film that you wanted? And, and why a trumpet specifically? Yeah, music was very important to me because, you know, if you think of films of this genre, um, they're really sappy, like, uh, orchestration with their score, you know, strings, and they're very old fashioned in some ways. And I, I really wanted to make something that felt like modern and everything. So um, originally, and like, and also modern, but but elegant and and timeless. And I always loved jazz. Um, and, um, you know, I love Chet Baker. And so that was sort of like an inspiration for the for the opening. And, and originally, my thoughts were, oh, this, this is going to be sort of a, a a jazz kind of soundtrack, but it didn't really work with the rest of the film. It worked with moments in the film, but it didn't work with the entire film. It kind of dragged um, dragged the film down and slowed things down and didn't make it feel as, um, you know, Toronto and, and 2022. And, and, um, and so there was this sort of mix of sort of pop and uh you know some r&b and and there's a whole meld of music and also, also like a lot of those artists that who's like whose music we did license um there's seven songs in the film that are licensed songs are are toronto local artists that you know i found um scouring spotify and <laughs> you know the internet to look for these artists and so that whole um soundtrack kind of feel builds and um, makes uh the film have a specific modern sound that I think it warrants. Was it important to you that they were local artists? Because I think Toronto does have a very specific music scene. In the beginning, I wasn't looking for like Toronto local. There's like, there's six local, there's, there's five, four or five local Toronto artists. And, and there's two Montreal kind of based and then one American, which is Cindy Lauper. But um there's so much music, right? I, how do you like narrow it down? So my first initial impulse was, okay, I need affordable music. We're a small indie micro budget feature. I can't, you know, I can't, I can't get the Beatles. I can't get, you know, Drake. Um, but, but maybe I can like narrow it down. That's why I sort of looked down to Toronto. Okay. So who are the up and coming Toronto artists? Who's in the last five years, who's had, you know, stuff on the radio or who are the, like, you know, you know, this magazine's top 10 local artists. That's kind of how I found it. And I went down their, their playlists and, and um, discography and like in Spotify and, and kind of felt which, which tracks were the right fit and tone for different scenes in the film. And that's kind of how we, we chipped away and got the soundtrack. You know, in, in this day and age of the blockbuster and, and of Marvel, what what do you what do you not only as a filmmaker but as as a consumer like about the smaller micro budget films? Um. Okay. As a viewer, the smaller films they're just they're more real. They're like about real people. They're you can really connect to them. And like yes, the, of course, the big tentpole Marvel studio films of that ilk are like spectacular to watch and group experience. But you know, sometimes we just want to like as people connect to things that we're seeing on screen and feel less alone in the world. And that's easier to do with stories that are just about real people that don't have this sort of 
um, CGI filter on it for everything. And yeah, but as a filmmaker, do I want to make a micro budget movie again? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's really hard. It is too hard. And I, I, that budget level especially was exceptionally hard because you, you're, you have so little resources and yet your film can't look like that. It has to look like it's a lot more, 10 times more. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, just looking at the, um, the, the, the makeup of, of the cast, had you like, for example, was Grace always written as a, as an Asian woman, or did you engage in, in, in blind casting and just say, oh, well, we'll look at this person and we'll look at this person irrespective of their yeah, culture. When we, when we casting, casting was, um, all ethnicities open, open call, um, in the script, I don't think anyone really had their ethnicity outlined. No, no one did. It was just names and ages, really. And um, and then when it came to casting, yeah, it was like open ethnicity. And and I really just cast actors I liked. And like some of them, you know, one of them I'd worked with before, Andrea, who I didn't didn't cast because I worked with her. Like she auditioned, she sent in a tape, and I was surprised when she sent that tape in, and like thought that was like so nice of her to like tape for our little film and then you know saw her tape and realized like she's so great as grace um and i obviously i knew she was amazing because i had worked with her on, on a show called kim's convenience but you know um raya black who plays roshan i had seen him in a in a canadian indie feature that i really liked um and this is before judy and georgia or made or any of those netflix things that he's on we like i was cast him in 2019 right before that um, Umberly Gonzalez as well. I, I was I directed a show called Working Moms and she was on that and I'd seen her in some of that and I really liked her and so, you know, reached out to her. Um, and yeah, it, it was kind of, and, you know, the, the boss who, who plays Grace's boss at the beginning of the movie, I had worked with that actress and thought she was just, she's so lovely and amazing and, and had the kindness and strength to, to give that advice to our main character, which then, you know, fueled the rest of the movie. So it, it wasn't, Yes, of course, um, I want to represent, um, have representation in the film, but also it's like Toronto is, has, is inclusive, has diversity, has, and we I wanted to depict a real, real life, modern day Toronto. So, yeah. How much of, how much would you say the city itself was somewhat of a character in the film? Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, for sure. I mean, it's unabashedly, yes, this is Toronto, but I wanted to feature real Toronto. I wanted the, their, you know, our main characters walk and talk through the streets and go to different bars and restaurants and what have you. And I wanted their path to make sense to like geographically be correct. So you could retrace their steps. Cause as someone from Toronto, whenever like, I'm watching a movie that's from Toronto, I'm like, Oh no, you don't, you can't go to the beaches from college street. Like that doesn't work. That's like, so I wanted that to be authentic, but I also wanted Toronto like to to like to um, it sounds cliche to make it a character, but I wanted to um, track it in a way that was real. So, for example, you know, whenever you show Toronto, it's like the CN Tower, like okay, that's Toronto. I didn't show. I I refused to shoot the CN Tower any time except for the last um, one of the last scenes, and like. I wanted to earn the CN Tower, not just like give it away so easily. So when our characters' journeys are complete, we then also see this big wide shot of the city with them in it together. And it's 
the city is also complete and that journey is complete. So visually it all, it all is co cohesive. You know, there's a lot of scenes where, where they're talking and sort of, they, they slowly reveal themselves to one another. Um, but I think, you know, why do you think it is that we can have so much trouble opening up to people? What, what is it about being honest that can kind of be almost painful in a way? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, it's hard to be vulnerable. It's like you're opening yourself up to being judged or, you know, not living up to what other people expect or, you know, um, and the stories I seem to tell, like usually filmmakers tell a story over and over again, is like someone who's guarded, who learns to open up. I just think that's a very um, universal kind of topic and um, journey for people. Um, and in a, a romance, it was an opportunity to explore that further, especially with a female character. She's not this sort of like Bridget Jones, clumsy klutz. I love Bridget Jones, by the way, but she's not this sort of freeze, you know, it's, she's different. She's not your typical um, uh, romantic, romantic comedy lead, I'd say. Um, and it also strikes me that, you know, throughout their conversations, they sort of, I think, dismantle their own preconceptions about themselves and and also each other. Um, how hard is it not to judge? Do you mean person? judge another person? Yeah. Um, I feel like in this film, because they meet in one night over that one night, they're both in vulnerable places. They're both actually find solace in helping the other person because they want to kind of forget about their own problems because they might be unsolvable to, to themselves. So I think their judgment is put aside pretty quickly. Um, if anything, they have judgment on themselves versus each other. But the movie, it's, it's, yes, it's a romance and it's about two people who connect over the course of one night, but it's really about finding yourself. It's really about um, discovering, you know, what you're uh, capable of and then, uh, you know, with the help of someone else and then using that to go on with your life. So that's kind of like the positive sort of message at the end that, you know, through each other, they find themselves. <laughs> so. You know, uh, Joe's character Carter is, is an athlete and there's very much a stereotype of, you know, athletes that they're a bit a frat boy they're a bit douchey and and there there is that to a certain extent but there's also this sensitivity i think to to carter that is is unexpected um how much did you did you work with like how much did you work with joe how much was there how much did did he bring to to that to to the roundness of of that character yeah it's interesting because you know you know, you read like hockey player, NHL hockey play center. Um, and, and in our, in our, when we auditioned and had tapes sent in by actors, um, a lot of the actors were great, but they did, they did lean into the, the, the hockey bro kind of jock kind of tone. And that's why, you know, but that for me, that wasn't Carter. And when I saw Joe's tape, he, 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 he has this sort of, sense natural sensitivity and this sort of 
like sadness in his eyes almost, you know, that he was giving off in his tape. And then that was something that was like very core to Carter, Carter Stone's character. Um, so it was really just, you know, he brought that naturally to himself and it was just kind of guiding through those scenes of when to have the facade, when to play um, the jock and when to um, let your guard down and, and be real. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, I think he did a really great job. That was, that's his first English language film role. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. He's French. He's he's from Quebec. He's like a big star in, in Quebec. He's a child star in Quebec. But he and he's done like, you know, stuff as an adult and everything as well. But that this was his first English English speaking uh, film role. So given that he's from Quebec, did you did you two make a conscious choice for him not to have his French Canadian accent, given that the character is from Montreal? Well, he's also partly American. Like he doesn't have an accent anymore. And um, but I did I did rewrite it to have him like there's a scene there's a part in the in the film where they both ask each other where are you from originally and then he says Montreal originally and I, I put that in just to like you know give some some more flavor I, I would have you know I actually could have would have loved the French Canadian accent in there too but I just like you know I want him to be himself and that's that's yeah. his voice that's his voice and um, also I'm, I'm curious what you think this film says about work culture in this country you know there's there's a lot of debates about uh, you know labor and, and and this and that and how we don't have enough time for ourselves was did for you in the writing process did that aspect play into it at all no it was less about the time for ourselves and more about you know these two people yeah it's interesting because the work work stuff is is at the beginning of the movie it's really that's what gets them going they both have a failed work opportunity that sets them on this course that night um but they're not getting the opportunity that they want but is it the opportunity that they deserve is it the right time maybe not but they don't feel that and that's what their struggle is so it was more about um reconciling what you want for your career and what you actually yeah. are giving or what you can give at this time and what where you need to grow and reconcile and recognizing that in yourself so that was really the the um the aspect that i was trying to target uh and finally would you say you have a favorite moment or or scene from the film that, that you really enjoyed just being there when it happened oh um yeah i mean I do love the scene, you know, we call it the burger scene where they, they basically talk for like seven minutes at a table. Nothing crazy happens. Directing wise, it's just, you know, camera shot, reverse shot, two shot, like nothing crazy. But um, that for me is the movie. It's then really now starting to get to know each other. Carter breaking down Grace's walls. And I thought, I thought Andrea and Joe were just fantastic in it. Like it was really fun to direct all those little moments, those looks, those pauses and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Well, the film is Stay the Night. Uh, and I believe it is out now in select cities. It is on VOD now. We had our theatrical release in uh, Toronto, Vancouver, Whitby, and Ottawa. And now it's um, you can get it on Video On Demand, on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube Movies, the usual. And then in January, it'll be on Crave in Canada. Well, I encourage everyone to go see it. Uh, I know you got a, another 
uh, live interview to do. So I will uh, let you go. But uh, thank you so much for your time today. Okay, thank you so much. Bye. Alrighty, bye bye. Cheers. Well, that was my conversation with Renika Jayapalan. Her new film, Stay the Night, is out now. That does it for me today. My thanks to Renika Jayapalan. My thanks to Edward Drake. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. And we'll see you all soon. Bye, everybody. Bye.